Uh, this is the word of the Lord. He said to him, uh, Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because uh, he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk uh, wherever you wanted. But when uh, you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death uh, he was to glorify God. And after saying this, uh, he said to him, follow me. And skipping there to verse 20. Peter turned and uh, saw the disciple whom uh, Jesus loved following them, the one who also had uh, leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he, uh, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain uh, until you come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among uh, the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to, uh, to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also uh, many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray, uh, may may the words my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We ask for your Holy Spirit now to enlighten our minds, to understand your word and to take these words and apply them to our lives and to our community. And so uh, fix our eyes on Jesus, the, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, our topic today is the will of God. And I'm sure that most of us have asked at certain points in our life, what is God's will for my life? And that often comes up at decisive moments. You know, should I marry this person? Should I, what career path should I take? When should I retire? What should I do with my retirement? Where should I live? And uh, it raises a question for us is how do we determine what God's will is for our lives? And well, the passage that we're uh, looking at today from John is Jesus is leaving two of his disciples. He's going to ascend into heaven and uh, uh, he's leaving Peter and John as two disciples to a future without him present there, at least not physically present. And it's a passage about their future and Jesus' will for their lives. And he foretells that Peter is going to be killed. He's going to be martyred. But he hides the future of John, the other disciple, who's there. And you see the mention of Jesus' will there in verse 22 where it says, Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, 
What is that to you? This is a passage about Jesus' will for his disciples until he comes again. And I think it relates not only to Peter and John, but to us. That's who we are. We are Jesus' disciples who are here waiting for him to come again. What's his will for us? Uh, well, this morning I'd like to, to answer that question by, by looking at two, two other questions that this passage addresses. What is the will of God? How do we understand the will of God? What's the theology behind the will of God? And then second... What are some rules of thumb for the will of God in our own lives? So what is the will of God? And what are some rules of thumb for the will of God in our life to guide us as we think about God's will in our lives? And I think uh, we're going to learn some of the most important theology for living as a Christian in the world. And I hope that it's helpful to you and that you, there's at least a few things from, from this passage in this sermon that, that speak to your life. So, so two questions for us this morning. And the first is this, what is the will of God? How do we understand the will of God? And, and the way that many Christians approach the will of God can be actually more pagan than Christian. You know, it, for example, when people are looking for God's will, they're looking for signs or um, they open their Bible to a random page and point to a verse and whatever verse they find, it's like, that's what God has to say to me. Or, uh, you know, casting lots or reading even astrology or communicating with spirits. Or maybe if you leave your mind blank and whatever the first thing that pops in your mind is, that is what God is, is uh, saying to you. Um, the Old Testament scholar Bruce Walkie says that this is what the Bible calls divination. And divination is a technique that was used by pagans to get into the secret councils of the divine to find out what is the blessed path forward. It's like there's this one blessed path, and if I could find out what that is, blessing would come to my life. But if I make the wrong decision, all kinds of curses and bad things are going to come to me. So I've got to divine what is the, bl- the blessed path. And Christians often operate this way, following omens or signs. I know when my wife Shannon and I were first dating, we were dating for two weeks before she went to Washington State University in Pullman, and I came to Bellingham, and and we were six hours apart. We were just starting college. We thought, we're going to be apart for four years. We've only been dating two weeks. This is really realistic, and, you know, we're agonizing whether we should stay together or not. And so we're talking on the phone. I say, okay, I'm going to go for a run, and let's pray about this. So I go on a run around uh, Western's campus, and I find this uh, this statue that had this piece of concrete I could lie on, and I looked up at the stars, and I was lying there praying, and I said, all right, Lord, if you want me to stay together with Shannon, show me a shooting star right now. <laughs> and I mean, I was, and as soon as I said that, I was like, I'm going to be here all night, like waiting for a shooting star to come. But actually, 10 minutes later, biggest shooting star I've seen in my life. And uh, now, that's the Lord's kindness to a silly 18-year-old asking, because if you've been in a relationship with someone who's making decisions about their commitment to you about whether they see shooting stars or not, that is not a happy relationship. Actually, it's funny. I went and told her I saw a shooting star. She said, I saw it too. And then my dad said a week later, I saw it too. I was like, why? You saw it. What? It's silly. This is divination. This is not how God wants us to live. So how should we understand God's will? Well, historically, uh, theologians have said that the Bible talks about two ways of understanding God's will, his secret will and his revealed will. 
his secret will and his revealed will. And that language comes from Deuteronomy 29, 29, which says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. So the secret things are the things that only God knows about his mysterious will. And then the revealed things are the things that God has told us in the Bible. This is how I want you to live. And so I want to talk about each of these, the the secret will and the revealed will of God. So first, what is God's secret will? And God's secret will is his eternal decree that he determined before the foundations of the earth. So the Westminster Confession puts it this way. God, from all eternity, did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. It's this beautiful statement that's saying that everything that happens in history, from the greatest event of, in a nation to the smallest detail in your life, is the unfolding of God's perfect will and purposes in his creation. He has absolute control over everything that happens in this world. He has unchangeably decreed whatever happens. And I think Jesus puts it even more beautifully. He says, not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from my father. He says, even the smallest creature that's out in some woods somewhere that no one will ever see and that you think no one cares about, even the suffering of that smallest creature, God is watching and he has ordered all of it according to his purposes. And that sovereign control and directing of every detail applies to each of our lives as well. Think about what Jesus says to, John, uh, says to Peter about John there in verse 22. Jesus said to Peter, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Jesus had just predicted that Peter is going to be martyred. He's going to be killed. Uh, that's his will for Peter. And then he says about John that what's going to happen in his life when he dies, how long he's going to live, what my purposes are between now and then, That's Jesus' secret will. What's that to you? That's God's prerogative. That's the same with you. Your death, the day of your death, is appointed in God's secret will. The length of your life, are you going to get sick? Are you not going to get sick? The plans that will happen between now and then will unfold exactly according to God's wise and sovereign purposes. And uh, this is one of the most important and majestic truths in the whole Bible, that God not only created this world, but he is like an author that is, has written the story, and we're all characters that are part of this epic story. And like an author has total control over the world that he creates and the story he's writing, so God has total control of everything in the story that we are living in. And this is what we mean by God's secret will, his divine purposes that he decreed before the foundations of the earth that extend to every detail of our lives. Now, I should say secret will is maybe not the best name for that because uh, it's not always secret. For example, there are some things that God is going to do in history that he has told us. For example, Jesus is going to come again to judge all people. We know that's going to happen in history. It's going to happen in the future. He's told us. And the things that have happened in the past were God's secret will until they happened. And now we know what happened. So we know what the, they're not a secret anymore. But it's, we call it the secret will because most of what God intends to do in the future is hidden from us. 
and we do not have control over it. So that, that's God's secret will. But what then is God's revealed will? It's different. What is God's revealed will? God's revealed will has been revealed to us in the Bible. It's what God wants us to believe about him and what he wants to do in obedience to his commands. And uh, you'll notice the emphasis in this passage about what has been written. Uh, it's the Greek word grapho, to write. And it's in verse 20, see in verse 24 there. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So there are all these things that you could say about God. I mean, endless things you can say about God. But there are certain things that God wants you to know. And they have been written down. And in Greek, the word for the scriptures is the Greek word graphe. It's the same as the noun for that, the writings. John here is adding his gospel to the writings that God has given as his revelation of himself. So God's secret will is not written down anywhere. You don't know what God's purposes are in history. You can't go read about them. But his revealed will is written down for us. God has told us, this is what I want you to believe. This is how I want you to live. You want to know what God's will for your life is? Obey his commandments. Do what he says. And so these are the two wills of God. The secret will. Can you fall out of God's secret will? No. Whatever happens is what he has purposed. It's unchangeable. Can you fall out of God's revealed will? Yes. You can disobey what God said to do, and you're not living the way that, that he desires. Now, let me make one aside here, just a little bit of theology, because some of you I know when you hear about God's secret will, and you say, wow, God is foreordained, whatsoever comes to pass. Every detail has already been planned by him. Are we just all robots that really have no freedom? And we're, the universe is just this machine that's grinding along according to the, the way of the designer, and we have no freedom in that. Well, I think the way that we generally think about freedom is we think that you're, we're free when God makes a world and then he's back in heaven and he takes his hands off and he says, all right, all you little people, you do whatever you want. You run free. I'm not going to get in the way and do what you want. But when you think about what it really feels like to be free, what does it feel like? I mean, when do you feel free? Like if you're an artist and you're creating something, or you're making music, or you're making a drawing, and you're like, I don't even know why I know how to do this. It just comes out of me. And I, and I just, I'm, it's so, I feel so alive when I'm using these gifts, and they just come from me. Or maybe some of you are really good at encouraging people, loving people with your words, and you know that there are certain things to say to people It's exactly what they need to hear, to, to encourage them or cheer them up or, or know that they're loved, and you can speak. And it's, you, you feel so alive when you do that because you're like, I love that I get to impact people. I don't even know that I, where these words came from. They just flowed out of me. Or even if you're playing sports and you're an athlete and, you know, you're shooting three-pointers and they just keep going in. You close your eyes and seemed, the ball would seem to go in. And you, and you feel like you're in the flow. That's what it feels like to be free. But the Bible says that everything is held together by Jesus. Everything in the universe. So your heart pumping is him pumping your heart. Your brain nerves firing. That's, uh, that is Jesus firing your brain nerves. So the creativity that's coming out of you, the ability to speak, every fiber of our being 
is held together every moment intimately by the Lord. He is close. The way Acts puts it, in him we live and move and have our being. So God's care and governance of every detail of our lives does not take away our freedom. It's the thing that actually enables our freedom. And so his sovereign providence and our freedom are mysteriously one. It's incredibly beautiful vision to live our life in him. Okay, so there's the secret will of God and there's the revealed will of God. There's one more way to think about God's will that I think is important, and you could call it the directive will of God. What is the directive will of God? It means that God gives us direction. Uh, twice, Jesus tells Peter, follow me. You see that in the end of verse 19. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And then in verse 22, Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. The will of God is to follow Jesus. And following Jesus means obeying his commandments on the one hand. We're going to talk about that more in, in the second point. But it also means um, he's a person who knows us, is involved with us, who's directing us, he's helping us, he's giving us wisdom. And you will find that both in the Bible and from disciples around the world, uh, Christians say they, they understand a very personal relationship with Jesus. He's their master. And he gives them the wisdom they need to make decisions well and to act wisely. He's actively involved in our lives. And Jesus does call people to do things for him. Um, I know, you know, for me, when I decided to become a pastor, I was either going to be a math professor or a pastor. I was like, well, I, you know, I, I don't know which way to go. And, of course, I do believe that Jesus used people in my life and, and circumstances to direct me toward, toward being a pastor. And so how does Jesus call or direct a person to follow him and serve him in his kingdom? Maybe some of you are wondering about that life. You're like, I need direction. I, I need wisdom and how to live and what I'm going to spend my time doing. I want to serve the Lord. I want to serve his kingdom in whatever work I'm doing or in, or in my relationships, whatever it is, how I'm going to use my time. Well, you have four things that really come together when Jesus is calling someone. First, whatever you're wanting to do needs to be in accord with the Bible. Like, if it's something the Bible says forbids from doing, it's not God's will. So, that, so that's the first thing. If it's, if it's disobedience to the Bible, don't do it. Um, second, the Holy Spirit does give an inner call in our hearts and in our minds. And I would say it's a desire, you know, if you have a desire, a passion to do something. And, and the reason I'm not sure desire is the right language is because sometimes it's something you might not want to do, but you feel a burden about. It's like, this needs to be done, and someone needs to do it, and I think I'm the person to do it. You know, and it might not be fun. <laughs> so desire might be the wrong word, but it's a burden. And the Holy Spirit puts a burden on us to do something. But it's not enough to just have an inner burden. You need God's people to then confirm that burden. And you have other people say, yes, that needs to be done. And yes, you are the person to do it. And yes, the Holy Spirit's saying the same thing to me that he's saying to you. And you should do it. But then, so that's three things. You need the Bible. You need the inner spirit. You need God's people confirming it. And then the fourth thing is, that God has to open an opportunity. When we believe that God is sovereign and in control of everything, sometimes you have a desire, you have a burden, and it's just door after door is closed. And we don't know why that is, but God has to open the door. 
And all of these pieces come together. Now, I want you to see how different direction, wise direction from Jesus, our master, is through his people, through his word, through his spirit, how different that is than divination. Direction and divination. I mean, direction is wise living. That's how you live. And, uh, and it's healthy for the people around you. It's not, you know, all crazy ideas because I saw <laughs> shooting stars. That was a good idea, actually. Um, so this is wise living. So when we ask, what is God's will? You see the rich answer we get from the scriptures. There's God's secret will where he controls and directs everything of our lives according to his will. There is God's revealed will that he has written it, it, commandments to us to do in his word. And lastly, there's God's directive will by which, by which Jesus, our master, calls us to follow him. And he leads us by his spirit, by his word, and through his people. And so with that framework in mind, I'd like to make a few comments about how that plays out in our lives. And so this leads to our second question. What are some rules of thumb about God's will in our lives? What are some rules of thumb about God's will in our lives? Four things that I want to highlight. First, trust God with his secret will. Trust God with his secret will. And for many of us, when we hear that God has complete control over our lives, every detail, every future, everything that's going to happen in the future, that's a frightening thought. Because some of you think, what's he going to do to me? I, I can't control him. I can't tell him what to do. And also, God has written into each one of our life stories suffering. Suffering is a necessary component to a good life. I, I, we all have to internalize that, that suffering is a necessary component to a good life. And God, every beautiful and meaningful life that you know has significant suffering at some place in it. And God's purpose for you is not that you have a comfort, comfortable life. His purpose for you is that you have a beautiful and meaningful life that brings him glory. And a necessary component of that is suffering. I mean, we look at our Lord who's on a cross. That's the master that we're following. And in this passage, Jesus tells Peter that he has suffering that is coming. Look at verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. God's will is somewhere that Peter is not, does not want to go. And this word was fulfilled when Peter was eventually crucified. Peter was crucified under the emperor Nero, and he said he wanted to be crucified upside down because he, he wasn't worthy to be crucified like Jesus was. And it, a really gruesome death. But Jesus does not come out clearly and tell Peter what's going to happen, right? He says, your hands will be stretched out. And we read that and we think, oh, that sounds like crucifixion. And he says, uh, someone will carry you where you do not want to go. Well, that sounds like he's going to be arrested. But God hides our future from us. And it's probably a secret because even though his purposes are only good, it's a future you would not have chosen. And maybe you'd run away from it. Maybe you'd run away from him if he told you. Maybe you'd find some divination and find a blessed path that you don't have to go down that path that he has for you. And so we are forced to trust God alone for the future. And so this passage is an invitation to each one of us 
to say even this morning to the Lord, your sovereign will is good and I trust you. Your will be done. So the first rule of thumb is this has to be a, pas- a posture of our hearts is to trust the secret will of God. Second, second rule of thumb is obey God's revealed will. When God says to do something, take his words and put them into practice in your life. Do what his word says. And Jesus says to his disciples, follow me. And we can't follow him to Galilee and to Jerusalem and walk with him and and eat with him now. His presence with us is by his spirit and his word among his people. And, uh, And so how do we follow Jesus? We do that by obeying his words. And our culture is obsessed with obeying our feelings, our intuitions, our emotions. And wisdom throughout history has said that our emotions are unreliable in making the most important decisions in our life. And most of us know that. Like, we know we get into certain emotional states and we're like, I've, I cannot make any decisions right now. I need to wait a week before that passes because I don't make good decisions when I'm, when I'm feeling certain things. Just because we feel something deeply does not mean that God is telling us to do it. Now, your feelings are important. Like I said earlier, the Holy Spirit works in our emotions and how we feel, our burdens we feel, and the desires we feel. It's absolutely important to God. Uh, and when you are called by God to do something, your desires are a key piece of that, but only if, you're de- if you're, you desire something that God's Word says is good. So, for example, if you're, if you're a, a Christian and you feel deeply that you want to marry someone who's not a Christian, you feel that very deeply. You're going to feel that powerfully. The, God's word over and over, read through the Old Testament and into the New Testament. You find when people who love God marry people who do not love God, it doesn't go well for them. And the Bible says, do not do this. And even though you're feeling it deeply, what you're feeling is your flesh. And so it comes to a point, I just, I'll obey the God, Bible. Do what the Bible says. This is God's revealed will. If you want to be in his will, do what he says. You know, what other things are in God's will? That he says, if you want to be in God's will, what should you do? Well, keep the Sabbath day holy. The, this day, it got, is devoted. You have, the one, uh, there's one thing that's a non-negotiable for your weekly schedule, is that the king of heaven and earth, has made an appointment with you and says, I want you to come before me. I'm going to speak to you and speak my love over you and tell you who you are, and you can't miss this. Be there. Obey. This is what he says to do it. Forgive people when they wrong you. Someone forgives you. Don't hold a grudge. Go work it out with them. Go talk to them. Tell them you forgive them. Pray about forgiving them. Open your home and welcome people in who need to be loved. If someone is an outsider with no friends... You can know for sure you are in God's will if you invite them into your house and love them and give them a meal. If someone is in financial trouble and you give them money, you can just be 100% sure you're in God's will. You are being generous uh, to people. Being generous is good. Do your work honestly, cheerfully, respecting your boss. Do your work with excellence. This is pleasing to God. Don't have sexual relations with people you're not married to. The Bible says this over and over again. God's made clear, this is what I desire. This is my will. If you are a husband, God's will is that you are not harsh with your wife. Cherish and nourish her. Tell her you love her. Listen to her about her day. Serve her and sacrifice for her. Be gentle with her. 
If you are a wife, respect your husband. Encourage him in his leadership. Speak words of honor to him. Show gratitude for the ways he sacrifices for you. If you are a parent, God's will for your life is that you love your children. Play with them. Spend time with them. Do the things you love with them. Diligently discipline them, especially when they're young, so that they're not selfish and they learn to love other people. This is what God's word says over and over again. This is his, what he's revealed. Bring them to church. And some of you say, oh man, this is only a part of what God's word says. I haven't done a bunch of this stuff. Jesus died for your sins. It's all washed away. Don't start worrying about that. Just receive this and say, this is what, know that this is what God's will is. And people think that being out of God's will means that they might take the wrong job or they might move somewhere that they shouldn't have moved. And we're so anxious about making the wrong decisions, but God didn't talk about any of that. He told you the things that are important to him to do those things. And you might even say, he doesn't care about a lot of the things that we're anxious about. He does care about it. He just cares about a lot less. These are the things he really cares about. And if you want to do what's important to be in God's will, God has said to you, these are the things that are pleasing to me. And the Bible also says that the commandments of the Lord are not burdensome. It's a happy life. It's a good, you're going to suffer, but it's also a happy life. You're going to have joy. Do the things that he says. So rules of thumb, pretty simple. Trust God's secret will. I trust you, Lord. Your will be done. Obey God's revealed will. When he says to do things, do them. Third, rule of thumb. Guard against envy. If you don't trust God's good, sovereign purposes for your unique individual life, you're going to be tempted to envy God's sovereign purposes for other people's lives. And it appears that something like that is happening in this passage from John. You, you see in verse 20 where it says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had been uh, reclining at table close to him and had said, Lord, who is it that's, that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, what about this man? Now, why did Peter turn around and start asking Jesus about what his plans were for John? Well, uh, commentators say that there's maybe a hint of envy happening in that question. Because this other disciple is John, who's the author of the gospel. And if you follow Peter and John through the gospel, you find, well, John was the closest person at the Lord's Supper to Jesus. He, like, rested on his you know, and rested on Jesus, and they were, they were close to one another. And he was the closest one to Jesus during the trial. He, went, uh, he went, followed Jesus all the way into the trial. He was with Jesus at the cross when Jesus died on the cross. And then he ran faster than Peter to the tomb when Jesus was resurrected, and he was the first to believe. And then if you were here last week, they were, they were, Peter and John were fishing, and he was the one who recognized Jesus on the beach. And then uh, Jesus predicts that Peter's going to die, and, uh, and he... Uh, tells Peter, you need to follow me. And then Peter looks around, and what's John doing? He's already following Jesus. He's following behind him. He's doing it. And so Peter's just learned, like, I'm going to die. What about this guy? What's the plan for him? And what is Jesus' response to envy? I don't tell you other people's stories. It's only your story. You don't get to know other people's stories. And I'll tell you, this is wise. You don't know what God's doing in other people's lives. You know, as a pastor, I probably know the people in our church's stories more than anyone. And I'll have people say to me, wow, I wish my life was more like that person. And I might be like, no, I don't think you want it to be like that person. You don't know what's going on. I know what's going on. And uh, 
You don't know what's, you don't get to know other people's stories. You get to know your story. And the thing you get to know about it is it's good. If you are in Christ, your story is good. And so the last rule of thumb is that God's will demands that you take risks. God's will demands that you take risks. And one of the reasons Christians obsess about finding God's will for their life is because they are unwilling to take a risk. They want God to tell them exactly what's going to happen so there's no risk involved, and then they can feel a sense of control over the future. Uh, But if there is no risk, there is no trust in God. And God knows that if he tells you what the blessed path is, what would you do? You'd go take the blessed path and you'd forget about him because you don't need him anymore. you got the blessed path, and you'll receive all the blessings, but you would forget the blesser. And so we don't know the future and have to take risks. And, you know, my dad always told me, you make a decision and live with the consequences. And what's built into that advice is you don't know what the consequences are. And as a Christian, the reason we can live with the consequences is because we have Jesus. We're not afraid of the consequences. In Jesus, you know God's ultimate will for your life is that you're washed of your sins. You've been adopted by God as one of his beloved children. And you're going to spend eternity with him in glory where every tear will be wiped away. So what's God's will for your life? That's it. Is that you would have all the grace that he offers you in Jesus. And so as we trust God in his secret will for our life, that he alone controls our future. And we seek to obey God in his revealed will, guarding against envy because we don't know God, uh, God's plans for others or even for ourselves, but we take courage and risk because ultimately God's will for our future is fixed in Jesus. He is the one who went to the cross for us saying to his father, not my will, but yours be done. He is the one whose will directs the lives of Peter and John, and he's the one whose will directs us too. He is good. He loves you. He sees and knows you. And so, my friends, let your hearts be at rest and say to him this morning, I trust you, Lord. Your will be done. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Uh, We are so thankful that you have revealed the things that are important to you in in your word and that we've been able to study them in the gospel of John. We see them above all in our Savior, his life, his healings, his, his love for people, his teaching, his death on the cross and his resurrection. And uh, Lord, um, we pray that you would give us hearts of trust. I pray for everyone present here who is wrestling with this topic. May you put their hearts at rest. Your purposes are good, Lord. We trust you. We love you. In Christ's name.